Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy Beat Podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hyper-sexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, Benji and I are going to be talking about the importance of letting your old self die. And what we uncovered in this conversation is that there's two sets of circumstances, one of which you most likely fall into. You determine which. So the first is a cataclysmic, transformational, massive death where you really need to completely recreate yourself. It's a conversion experience. And we all get to points like this in our life at various stages. But then there's also a lesser category, and that is possibly having a smaller death or a series of smaller deaths. And if you can identify which one is right for you at this point in your life, then you'll know the requisite amount of energy to invest into your journey. Because for some people who've been really stuck in a rut for long enough, they just need to completely revamp their life, start all over, become a new person, die and resurrect, okay? Again, I want you to figure that out. So please listen to the whole podcast in its entirety and you'll have a much better sense of where you need to allocate your resources as a human in order to have the greatest impact in your journey. I'll see you in the podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We're going to talk about death, letting ourselves die. I actually just gave a talk right before this podcast. Thank you, Benji, for waiting eight minutes, nine minutes, 10 minutes on me. That's on me. You can buy something with that time. I owe that to you, pay you back. But in that talk, I was actually talking about this, which is great because it was just one slide in a talk. But I had heard somebody else talk about it in a podcast. And then I realized that I had already talked about it, but he brought it to new dimensions. So I want to explore this topic because basically what he said, he's a Harvard professor talking about what it means to be happy. And he was saying, you have to, in effect, if you truly want change, you have to let your old self die. Like not quite this incremental graduation from one self to another, but a complete death and resurrection. And I was just thinking that is absolutely true, but it cannot be for every part of your life because that's exhausting. You just physically die. You did that too much, right? But kind of picking parts of your life that are really stuck or really broken and then allowing yourself to completely do a hard stop and just say, I'm done, 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 done. And I think you have probably seen this a bunch of times. I have seen it too in high noon where people have to get to that point. There's like a point when people are like enough is enough. And in movies, it's usually like when the good guy is winning and then he starts losing and then it looks like everything's falling apart. And then the, per- the bad guy says like, I've got you this time. And then the good guy says something like, no, you don't. Ah! And they get all that, like a superhero, mm-hmm. right? They get that second win. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking It's like every superhero movie ever, yes. right? Like the bad guy steps on their sword or their gun or whatever weapon they have. So how do you get that power? Let's talk about that. Have you ever yeah. had to do that personally? Do you remember? Have you ever had to like do yeah. a real hard stop yeah. and a death of your own self? What did that look like? Well, I mean, I'm going to talk about porn because it's relevant to everyone. And it's what I experienced. I mean, when you're sharing that, Andrew, it's like, I specifically think about certain mindsets and beliefs that I had about my porn habit that were not serving me and were not true. And I often, when I'm mentoring people nowadays and talking to folks, I ask them the question and I tell them, you know, you can quit porn today, right now. Like the last time you ever watched porn was the last time you ever watched porn in your whole life. Like it takes one day. And then listen to the internal dialogue that you have. When people, when you say that to someone, they say, well... You know, no, I need to, it takes like you, like you just mentioned, right. And it takes time to, 
to wean off of it and it'll take time for me to heal. I'm like, okay, yes, it will take time to heal and to recover. But why does that mean you need porn to recover? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to do it every two weeks and then I'm going to do it once a month and then I'm going to do it once a year. It's like, no, anyone who has quit porn, like Andrew, actually, like this is important, like for you, when people have conversion experiences, for example, like sure. fundamental belief system changes, it yeah. instantly changes their behaviors because you can go from an addict to a user, to a non-user in literally one second. It's your identity. You realize that that is your identity. It's all that you believe and all that you feel is wrapped up in your relationship with something or someone. Mm -hmm. And to change that is terrifying because it's so yeah. comfortable. It's, it is comfortable and it, it's a dependency for sure. Yeah. So to, to answer your, your original question for me, it was like, I mean, I was a porn user and then the next day I was not a porn user. And I often think about that transition. I transitioned from a porn user to a non-user, it was literally one day. It was literally one day. And I, I've identified that change point was realizing that I, first of all, that I had this belief, this old self that I had, which believed that I need porn for stress relief and that it's going to take a long time. It's going to be really difficult to beat porn. And as long as I had though that old mentality, because if you go into any situation like that, believing that something's hard, it's going to take a long time you're setting yourself up for failure because you're always going to be pushing it off. It's like, oh, that's difficult. I'll get to it when I have the energy, when I have the time, when I'm married, when I have kids, the next year that comes around, the next month that comes around, you're always putting this, this artificial roadblock or milestone sure, and sure. pushing it off into the future because it's hard, because it's going to take a long time to do. Can we talk about just that one point? Can you remember the next thing you're about to say? And then I, I just yes. want to explain. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> when somebody is about to punch you, you brace yourself. If you're, mm -hmm. if you remotely have any instincts, right? You kind of, you tighten up because you're bracing for impact. Especially if that person has a habit of doing that, you actually train your nervous system to tense up when they're around because you're expecting that they're going to do something like punch you. And it's the very same thing when you're expecting something to be hard, you're bracing yourself for difficulty and then your brain then sends out the requisite amount of whatever you need in order to deal with that. It sends it out like a dispatch, like, oh, all right, we need uh, some adrenaline over here. We need, you know, like whatever, whatever it is. And that's the story that you're telling yourself. So you're expecting it to be hard. And so you make it hard in so doing. And that sounds kind of like self-help mumbo jumbo, but it's actually very practical that, you know, going to the gym when you, when you've never been to the gym is really hard in the beginning until you mm. just, it becomes part of who you are. And it's hard to not go to the gym because mm. it's super easy because the action is the same. It's just your resistance is lessened over time because it's a part of your new identity. So it's really like, you're not bracing for, oh, this is going to be hard. It's like, oh, I got to go to the gym. It's just like a function of who I am. So it's, there's no resistance at that point because it just naturally flows into who you now are. Okay, back to you. Sorry, I just had to make that point because yeah, yeah. people do that all the time. Well, in the next stage of that is you enjoy going to the gym and you suffer yeah. when you don't. And we've experienced this in high noon when people start living in high noon. I think Luke Kagushi said this, he's addicted to living in high noon. <laughs> so even if he's slightly off, if he's slightly off, he feels like this compulsive need to like tell somebody. <laughs> And to yeah. live in, the, in without shadows, you know? So you can, so in a sense, it's like, can you be addicted to the feeling of not having porn in your life? Can you enjoy the process of quitting? The answer is yes. For, I mean, for you, I'm sure. And for myself, I'm sure, I'm sure. Because it's like when you're scrolling and there's always clickbait, there's always something. And it's, when it shows up, 
it's not like, oh, I, uh, oh, I, oh, should I watch it? Should I? It's like, oh my God, that's so gross. <laughs> like, what the hell is, like, I don't have anything to do with that, right? Just like, if you hang around with a bunch of people who have never done drugs, and then somebody's, some guy who's like wasted comes up, and he's got like cocaine under his nose, he's like, hey guys, you want some drugs? You're like, oh my God, no, not at all, right? But if you're surrounded by people who are all, kind of junkies, they're drug addicts, then it's yeah. going to be a lot harder for you to say no. So yeah, very much so. Sorry, just affirming yeah. your point. So back to the story of the mind shift change I had was, and I feel I feel fortunate that I know because I've been through this, like I've been through the, the porn habit and I know the point that I changed. I remember the question I was asking myself is number one, what impact has porn negatively had in my life? Because I, I know logically you have to you have to do the cost benefit analysis in your brain because your brain's constantly making that keep, keeping porn adds some kind of benefit that is surpassing the negative impacts. Whether you people agree with that or not, that's what's happening, and that's why people keep in a, a habit is because they think it adds some benefit subconsciously or not. So I try to do that, and then and then I was like, okay, that's not enough for me. So I got a little deeper, and I asked the question, what do I think porn is adding to my life? What value do I think it's bringing to my life? And then I was like, oh, actually, you know what? I use porn because of for stress relief and mood regulation and yeah. managing difficult emotions because I believe deep into my heart that it was a very good way to alleviate stress. When I was angry, frustrated, stressed out, anxious, feeling all that stuff, it was a really quick fix to take myself out of that emotion. But then I was like, actually, I think this is adding to my life, but actually it's not. In fact, I'm more stressed out than ever. And in fact, this porn thing that I think is contributing to my life is actually taking from my life and it's making me more stressed out over time and more irritable and more dependent on it because I developed a dependency to take me out of those states of stress. So I don't know how to manage emotions in a normal way. So that was the primary belief that, or the old self I had that I didn't realize I had, but everyone who has a porn habit believes that porn is adding some value to them. They believe that either through stress relief, negative emotions, boredom, arousal in quote quotations, being horny. I'm a horny person with a high sex drive. And therefore I need, you know, it's like, no. So that was my old self was like, I need porn because it's stress relief. And then I was like, honest with myself, actually, it's making me more stressed out. This is not adding anything. It's only taking from my life. So I kind of yeah. like had to fight logic with logic in my brain. And honestly, it was that simple. That's a great point to have that conversation. So especially righteous people or idealists, they like to demonize bad things instead of understand, truly understand bad things in their life. Because if they realize that everything stems from a natural urge, it's just an unnatural means. And so, like you said, looking at what is this actually doing for me? Or what do I think I'm getting from it? That's a much more honest conversation than just vilifying something because mm -hmm. that's just so easy. It's like, oh, you're bad. It's like, okay, but then why do you keep on going back to it? There's something familiar there. And when you can understand that pattern, then you can start to substitute it with something more productive. But that's a part of that old identity. And I do want to go back because you, you mentioned this conversion experience. And I don't necessarily want to go into mine per se, but all I can say is I remember it clearly. And I remember it being so completely melancholy because in my expression, melancholy, I mean the far reaches of all emotions at the same time. There's a potato chip in Canada called All Dressed Potato Chips. It's Ruffles. Okay. And it's every every flavor of potato chips on one chip. And they are very confusing. Basically just taste sour. I kind of like them, to be honest. 
But that's the kind of emotion I felt was like the everything emotion because I would wake up exhilarated and terrified, like nervous feeling in my stomach, but my heart was beating because I the possibilities were endless, but my mind was freaking out because there's nothing familiar. And so getting to that place is where that terrifies most people. The fact that everything's so new. But if you can imagine walking into like getting off the plane and you're in a completely foreign country and you have no means of communication, you'll figure it out. If you're surrounded by a bunch of new friends first day of school, you'll find your friends. It will be okay. We have an amazing adaptability aspect to our very nature, like humans and you'll figure it out. So to feel scared and melancholy and, and all these emotions is actually a prerequisite to then building something new. You've got to tear down the old house and it's going to feel unfamiliar. And right next to unfamiliarity, first cousin of unfamiliarity is nervousness, awkwardness, these siblings, nervousness, awkwardness, clunky, not knowing, curious, expect though that's a good life anybody who i know that i really respect they're in that state fairly regularly because they're always exposing themselves to new information new people newness that's revitalization and that's the resurrection aspect and in mm. so doing you're also letting your old self die so there's a process i guess one is completely rewiring yourself by changing everything the other thing is by selecting the old adage of like, if you have a dirty bucket, you got a bunch of mud in it and you just let water drip in, eventually it's going to wash all the dirt out. It's going to flush it out and just be clean water. And that's by adding new and new and new things to your life that you suspect would be helpful to your life. And it will flush out the other stuff. But that's a part that you, you that's you asking the question, who do I want to be? That's North Star goal kind of territory mm -hmm. right there where you're like, you might be wrong, but here's my proposition. Me personally, I want to hang out with more artists. I just realized this yesterday. I need more artists in my life because that's more who I want to be. That's where I'm really happy. And I have been doing that. So that means I have to start going to art galleries and stuff that I don't want to go to because I'm nervous because I don't know anybody out there. <laughs> But guess what? That's yeah. part of me resurrecting and also letting this version of myself die out. Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples of people who have done this hard stop, this complete transformation? Because we had Josh Fontaine on the podcast recently, right. and his was on the back end. He had this death of his old self, but it took three and a half years to get to that point. And actually, your name came up. He watched a video from you in the Match MatchNet, and that stimulated something in him, and he caught it. And then he's, he's never been the same since. But that took three and a half years of work to get to that point. Do you have any other examples of people that have done like a real hard stop? Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask Josh, if, I don't know if you had a chance to ask him, but what took him so long? <laughs> he's just stuck in these cycles. It's a longer podcast. It's like an hour. So he goes into a lot of detail, but he just basically was addicted to the emotion of self-loathing, which is like a consortium of emotions. It's like you know, self-worth, there's self-doubt, there's there's all this stuff in there. So wherever he was, he'd end up back there and that would then usher him to do something stupid and regrettable. Yeah, yeah got it. Yeah, I think along a similar vein, there's there's a guy who never told anyone about his porn habit ever until he came to us, right? Never, his whole life. And he's been struggling for over a decade on his own, trying to figure wow. it out. Very high standard, high, high value, high morals guy. Righteous, like you said. And he... He just struggled. She tried all the stuff, all the stuff online, looked online. And when I really like talked with him and challenged his beliefs about his porn habit, and I challenged him when he said things like, I feel like a worthless piece of garbage. I feel so much shame with my porn habit. So when we got deep into that, 
he realized that shame is the opposite of integrity. And the only way to eliminate shame is to shine light on it, is to just be open about my shame. It's like, yeah, I'm this way. Like a silly example is like, I watch Family Guy every night before bed. Do you? Yeah, every night, like half an episode, because it kind of helps me unwind and it's kind of just stupid and silly and just (laughs) turns my brain off. It turns my brain off. Yeah. And I did it every night and I was feeling so <laughs> shame, like shameful, <laughs> like a guilty pleasure, right? It's like people, people think family guy is stupid. I don't know. I like it. And then I just like started telling people and now I just don't have this shame about it anymore. Cause it's like, I don't give a, I don't give a crap. Um, yeah. So the only way to eliminate shame is to shed light on it. So what he did is by joining the program, this guy, he shed light on his shame. And then he realized that the shame that was causing him this self-loathing was actually one of the root causes that he has porn in the first place. Because shame is a negative emotion that is self-sabotaging. And the fastest and easiest way to escape shame is what? Porn. Sure. And your brain understands that. And that's why people spiral. They make, they try their best, they relapse, they make a mistake and they say, oh crap, I might as well just binge watch porn the rest of the weekend, rest of the week, the rest of the month, because yeah. I'm already down here and I'm already a piece of garbage. So it's like shame, shame in a sense is like, it's another way of the brain's your own self-sabotaging to keep the habit with you. And when you understand that, when, when this guy got that, he was like, ah, shame is not helpful. He, he's like, I thought being shameful was part of being a religious person. Like, that's just what it comes, it comes with the territory of being a religious person. Then I was like, no, I mean, it's-, it's It is true. It's a part of the culture, but it's the broken, fallen version of religion, which is about projecting your own limitations onto other people. That's what shame is. And so he's not wrong. I think that's part of our presentations too. Religion has always represented shame largely because we know that there we could do better. And so when you have an awareness that you could be better, but you settle for less, then usually people fill that void with shame, self-loathing. That's something we have to graduate from. But what you were saying, it's really interesting that the last thing that he wanted to do was the only thing that he needed to do. And instinctively, he had no idea. His instincts were so corroded and broken that all he had to do was talk about it. And he wanted to do anything but, like take it to his grave. And somehow when he did, now he's so much freer. I fully, fully believe that a porn user's brain is fundamentally self-sabotaging them to keep the habit. And I talk about this with guys who were like on the fence about joining Ascend or a program. It's like, like Ascend is free, right? If you're listening to this, you have a porn habit and you haven't joined Ascend, it's free. And it's not a lot of work. So ask yourself yeah. why you haven't joined. It's not a lot of work. It's like one hour a week for 12 weeks. It's free. You yeah. will get better. Why haven't you joined? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because as soon as you commit to doing a program, it means you have to do your best and you have to quit. And yeah. that's the last thing that you want. If I gave you a guarantee pill, a magic pill, and I told you, you'll eliminate porn from your life forever. You might still get urges. You might still get triggers, but it'll, it'll get rid of it. I think most people would say yes, but if they really ask themselves honestly, they would say, I don't know, because porn is a dependency. That's why people keep porn. It's not because you enjoy it. Let me make that really clear. People do not enjoy porn. You also don't enjoy smoking or alcohol. You developed a dependency and a uh, desensitization to it because the first time you watch porn, you're probably grossed out a little bit, a little bit shocked maybe. First people time people smoke, it's gross. And people who are not porn users wonder why people get addicted to porn because it's disgusting. People who are not smokers wonder why people even smoke because it's gross and it's unhealthy. You don't enjoy watching porn. You actually have developed an artificial need, dependency on it to, to mood regulate whatever you use it. So that's a very clear point. This idea of his identity changed when he spoke about it. 
because he went from slave to a free person. You, he emancipated himself. So I want to really break this down for people so they can understand. Okay. If you want to be free, you must go to this dark cave within your soul and confront yourself and see what is the scariest thing that keeps me addicted to this thing, that keeps me coming back to this slave master. And then you have to do the, that thing that scares you the most. That's really like bullet to the heart of your biggest fears is to meet them face on. And if you can't do it by yourself, because most people can't, you can do it with a community. You can absolutely do it. But everybody has something. Everybody has some fear deep down. Benji, we just had an amazing conversation last week. You had fears, right? And you eliminated them very quickly. It was amazing to see how quickly you just kind of confronted it. And I, I, I definitely have stuff like that. And every time you go straight to the source of your fear and be like, oh, I'm scared of this. That's the slave driver. But you're your own liberator. That's the thing. Nothing else is keeping you locked in that jail. You're keeping yourself there. And the key to that door to get you out of that prison that you put yourself in is freedom. And that freedom looks like just being honest, being 100% absolutely honest with whatever it is that you're afraid of. And so for this guy, it was telling people about his, his addiction. I think for a lot of people, it might not be so clear, but that's the process. Uh, part of the porn recovery process is that these things bubble up to the surface. And when they do, then you address them you have the opportunity to address them. I just honestly facilitated a, a talk between a bunch of young people who had been living together for a year and they were struggling, but they had not talked about it. So when I talked to them, we on Saturday night, we had a conversation and there's some tears, there's some hard feelings, whatever. The next morning is when the explosion happened and the, all the real fights came out because once it started bubbling up, the gunk buried deep underneath, that was like the second wave that hit. And then they really went after it. And like that stuff was there the whole time. They just never talked about it. I just helped to facilitate the unearthing of this stuff. So that's what joining a group for high noon looks like is you're letting this stuff bubble up and you can see where it's there and talking about it dealing with it is you letting your old self die and for some people it might be this grand conversion experience like you mentioned other people honestly it's like piece by piece by piece you'll have many many deaths for me you know i was never a morning person and now i just had to let that old concept of myself die now i'm a morning person i get up at 5 30 in the morning 5 35 to be exact because I would always stay up until midnight because that was part of my identity. I'm like a night owl. That's, it was all fake. It was just habit. Now I go to bed at like 1030. So you can completely re-identify yourself, but you have to let your old self die. And then you can figure out kind of who you want to be. And that's that's North Star goal stuff. Got it. Anything else? Well, let's talk about just to give a little nugget of wisdom for couples, like letting our old married self die and becoming yeah. a new husband or wife. What about that? Well, asking them, what do they need? <laughs> that's that's usually the first thing because they'll say something that you probably maybe forgot about don't know about or don't want to do and so you have your own patterns with yourself but you definitely have patterns within a relationship and when you're like honey where are you unfulfilled they'll usually have something pretty juicy to tell you that is like homework and if you're in your normal state that rhythm that you're in it's very defensive i can't do that or no you should do that but an example for me is I can do so much for my wife, but I cannot, for some reason, organize a family photo shoot 
And that's all she wants in life is a family function. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate them so much. You I've can. always hated the idea of fake smiling in like a forest or something. Like it's so contrived and I just don't even want to be a part of that. But that's such an egotistical, selfish thing that she just wants it. And I'm like, oh my God, I just got to do it. And she asked me when we go to, we're going to go south. Uh, she said, when we're there, can, I, can we please do a photo shoot? And I just have to say yes. I, have to, I just have to say yes. That's one thing, right? Like I'm a guy who hates photo shoots. I have to be a guy who loves photo shoots if I want to make her happy. No, it's not good enough for me to show up and comply and give a fake smile. I have to love doing it because it makes her happy. Mm -hmm. That's an identity shift. That's a small one. It's not quite a conversion, but it's a death of an old part of myself. That's a small thing, but guess what? It will bring her so much joy. And I've been withholding for some reason for 10 years, <laughs> 10 years, man. What about you? Yeah, we haven't done a photo shoot ever. So no, I'm talking have, about. We have. We, I'm just kidding. I have a lot of beliefs. I've had a lot of beliefs about my wife that weren't serving me that I've shed over the years. And that's been the, the fastest way to growth for me. Like I believe that breaking down your beliefs is the fastest way to growth because it's the only way to grow because that's what growth is. You have one identity or one belief and then you make a new one. That's what yeah. growing is. So that's my shortcut to growth. Honestly, I had a belief, for example, my belief was because my wife is Japanese, we will always have communication issues. <laughs> But that you was, speak I Japanese. Believe that. <laughs> I learned Japanese, right? I believe that to my core. We will always have communication issues. I also believe we will always have cultural issues. And I also believe that my marriage would always be difficult because we're so different. As long as I have that belief that it's going to be difficult, it's going to be difficult because I'm making it difficult. And it says nothing about the marriage being international and everything to do with me about how open-minded I am to international matching. So take my word for it. I've definitely grown in my capacity to love and accept Japanese people and my wife because of her strange, you know, whatever. Interesting mm -hmm. side note. His yeah. dad is also Japanese. <laughs> that is Japanese. If you haven't accepted Japanese people up until this point, uh, and that's Japanese. We'll get to that in another episode. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Japanese dads are notoriously not good at teaching their kids languages or <laughs> anything like that. But that's a belief I have. Anyways, that's it. Like, and also like re regarding our sexual relationship, I believed for a long time that my wife would just not be as sexually aroused as I am, like high sex drive, which is not true, actually. Not true all the time. Because for something to be true, it has to be true all the time. Quick side note, Benji is expecting <laughs> his third child. So something, something's yes. wrong, right? Something did change in the last year. Anyways, if I held those beliefs my whole life, which people do, we haven't gone anywhere. If I just held to the belief that we won't have another child, I did have that belief, actually. We won't have another child because we're not destined for it. It's not us. My parents had two kids. My brother has two kids. They'll probably have more. But it's in my, my uncle has two. Everyone has two kids in our family. Yeah. We'll never have three kids. It was a belief I had. Yeah. Also not true. So it's like, I've built this practice of anytime I state something over myself, like I have a statement of something, I always question, is this true all the time? Why do I have this belief? Because beliefs are based on previous experiences. The reason people say beating porn is hard is because they tried their best, quote, in quotations, tried their best and it didn't work. Therefore, it's yeah. hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Marriage is really hard because I've tried my best. Actually, that's not always true. It's like, I have spent like $0 on investing in my marriage. How can I say that it's hard? <laughs> How can I say I've tried my best if I've not invested in it at all? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've done the same thing a million times. It doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like no, compare how much you spent on porn recovery versus how much you spent on coffee this last month. It's like no, you have well, not is tried. That, your best. Taking a shot at me because I'm at a coffee shop. Yeah, <laughs> no one knows that. Don't worry. <laughs> 
I just want to start wrapping it up, but I think this conversation has yeah. led us to, I want everybody who's listening to really contemplate where are you at in life? And are you in a need of a small death and resurrection of some aspect of your life? Because there's a bunch of you who've been on this road for a while and you're doing quite well, but maybe you, you can notice an, an area in your life that needs some serious repair. And so that means death. Let mm. your old self die. Recreate yourself in the likeness of who you'd like to be in that area. So do you need a, a small death and resurrection or do you need a massive conversion experience? Are you really stuck? And you know that you've gone maybe 99%, but it's going to take going 100%. Are you willing to actually let go of that old self and let that old self die? in order to recreate yourself and allow yourself to be uncomfortable, allow yourself to feel like a noob, like to be completely foreign at something, at life. I've just honestly hit 40 and I'm doing a bunch of stuff that is kind of, I, people have concepts about where they're supposed to be in life. And it's, that can be all ego. That's all concepts. There's no such thing. Just doesn't matter where you're at. The main point is, do you need a bunch of small resurrections and deaths or a huge one? And you'll know intuitively if you spend a little bit of time with yourself. Are you up for massive change? It's going to take you letting go of something massive. So that's the real question. Everybody needs to have some death, whether it's a small death or a big death, but you figure that out. Do you need a big one or a small one? And know that it's going to take people more than just yourself. It's going to take you to commit, but it's going to take the support of other people too. And that's what we're here for. That's the whole high noon culture is to help you have these deaths and resurrections. Cool. Sounds good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for just being such tender souls. <laughs> just kidding. But thank you, guys, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Andrew. Hello, everybody. Andrew Love here for one last announcement, and that is I encourage you to join our newsletter. We don't spam people. We give you the goods. We give you good quality information once a week in your email. And so we send out newsletters probably Saturdays mid-morning on average. And these are filled with blogs, the latest content, everything you need to know in order to get through your week with high noon light. So let us light up your inbox. Join our newsletter by going to highnoon.org. It's all right there. It's super easy. We won't spam you. We just want to let you stay connected to this High Noon Providence. So go to highnoon.org and sign up for our newsletter.